At uncontrolled airspace in the virtual hangar, the pilots were chatting, but then heard a bang or a noise of some kind from behind the tool shelf. Twas a man dressed in red, a quite jolly old elf. He opened his pack and he flashed them a look, and he rummaged around and he pulled out a book. The pilots all hoped there was something for them. They begged Santa, look in your pack once again. Did you bring me a gadget? An avgas container? He said, "No, you've been bad. I've brought just the disclaimer." But Santa Claus smiled as he read to them there his message of wisdom and safety and care. The UCAP members, those wise old flyers, are speaking their very own thoughts and desires. The folks whom they work with might not feel the same, and that is all right. No one is to blame. The stories they tell and advice, while terrific, you take them as general and never specific. When you're in your plane and pilot in command, keep all of your training right there, close at hand. Assess your own situation that day and fly your own airplane, just like my sleigh. And they heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, "But you knew that already, so have a good flight." Hey, you know what? Um, once, uh, once upon a time, they let people really fly airplanes. Um, here's what I want to do: I want to take a really fast airplane, and I want to like go down below the ridge line of the Grand Canyon and go zipping around left and right, left and right. All right. And uh, you think they'll let me do that? Once um, upon a time, in, in your dreams, in your yeah, they'll let you do it once. <laughs> That's right, but back in the day, apparently they let you do it a little. I mean, let some people do it a, a fair amount. So we saw this video. Well, who, uh, it, it wasn't until uh, the eighties or maybe even the early nineties before there were restrictions put in over the Grand Canyon. Well, I, I got to ride in a one eighty two with a, a friend of mine. Uh, the first time I attended an AOPA convention, uh, it was Las Vegas, I believe. It was nineteen eighty two. Uh, it was something watching the airplanes taxi in from uh, from uh, McCarran to the big Hilton there and, and set up static in the parking lot and all that. Uh, and they did it at night. <laughs> uh, and a lot of, to the Las Vegas lights, all those twinkling running lights and all that. But we went out flying about dawn uh, one morning during the convention in a friend's 182. And we were able to get, you know, below the rim. Dawn? 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 What's that? <laughs> oh, well, she why? was she 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 was the guy's uh, girlfriend. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so, did you get to fly uh, like in the canyon or just over it, or what'd you do? We 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 got down to the rim. Uh, really? Yeah. And and cruised along there, and then we took one of the forks and dropped down below the rim for a while, and that's when I noticed that it really wasn't the. Uh, 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 we weren't really descending. It was the change in the terrain. Yeah. Yeah, right. And that was kind of cool. Now, I'm watching this video. So, you know what video I'm talking about here? This is a video from, like, way back when, what, 60s, 50s, something like that? And uh, 
1959, I believe it says. Yeah, and it's a uh, military jet trainer. Um, and the way the, the way they tell the story, this used to have this used to be a not uncommon thing where they would just go joyriding um, through the through the canyons of the Grand Canyon, and the guy shot uh, home movies from the back seat. Um, and it's it's even for crude 1959 home movies, it's pretty exciting video. Um, yeah, it's pretty good video for for 1959. I, I, uh, I got, got to give the shooter some credit. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and you got to give the stick guy some credit. That's some pretty interesting flying. I'm torn between whether or I, I not think this is he's like done it. Before. Yeah, probably. But whether this is like uh, like like really cool and exciting or or insanely dangerous, I, probably both. I. Uh, Oh, I wouldn't say it was insanely dangerous. Oh, I mean, he was going really fast, really close to the canyon walls. Maybe they well, know what they're, I guess. Yeah, and I looked at that, obviously, or we wouldn't be talking about it, and and I didn't see him going all that fast. I didn't see him going all that close to to stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, he was within 500 feet, Um but that wasn't. There was not a structure there. there you know, it's not a populated place. Uh, I didn't think he was going all that fast myself. But well, I, I and the know. other thing I is, mean, more than more than, was, half more than half of the time, he was more than half the time he was more than sixty yeah. degrees off of level. I mean, he was like, well, that's yeah. in and of itself. Sixty degree banks are, are nothing. You know, are, are not dangerous. Um. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. It's it's exciting. It's great video. Uh, I wish we could do that now. Um, um, I, I don't. I don't know. He clearly had done it before. He clearly knew what he was doing. I don't. I don't see anything really all that. I don't know. Uh, dangerous or or risky or uh, uh, um, uh, special about it in, in some way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll tell you this much: it was one of the more breathtaking uh, hours of airtime that I've ever experienced in anything. And, right, and uh, that was just flying along the rid- the rim line, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we got down below the canyon rim about I don't know two or three hundred feet uh, in one part of it. Now, what are the rules it, now? Do, can you even get close to doing that kind of thing now? Oh, I'd have to look at the special chart, but there's some corridors. You, get, you cannot get below the rim without special dispensation, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a whole set of procedures and charting uh, for the canyon. Um, basically, you're supposed to uh, stay well above, I want to say 2,500 feet above the rim, but it might be a little higher than that. And for some reason, uh, 14,500 feet comes to mind uh-huh. um, as as some um, floor. I, I don't know what that's. Might be a speed limit or something like that. Um, this comes out of uh, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. A petition or process or something that was begun in the uh, in the eighties and um, eventually evolved into uh, some legislation and uh, uh, regulatory working group that still meets. Uh, last time I checked, it still meets fairly regularly. Uh, to revise and, and uh, uh, re-examine the existing uh, existing structure of rules, um, it's uh, there are there are people who uh, would like to extend the ban on flying over the canyon up to uh, up to, uh, up to sixty thousand feet, 
Um, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the phrase with which I'm, I'm familiar just kind of rolls my head off the, uh, off my shoulders is, um, there shouldn't even be any contrails over the canyon. Yeah. Um, well, reading from a guide to want, fl- some people keep it that pristine. Yeah. David, go ahead. I was going to say, I looked up a little flying the Grand Canyon guide here from the Southwest Aviator. And it uh, talks about a free flight zone, means just that no aircraft, GA, or commercial tour operator is allowed below 14,500 feet within the uh, free flight zones, period. Uh, I'm sorry, do they really call it a free flight zone or a flight free zone? Flight free zone, I'm sorry, oh, flight okay. free zone. Because right. free flight would mean something different to me, yeah. Yeah. And I'm having a dyslexic moment. Uh, okay. And there are four. Free fire zone would be a whole different thing, too. <laughs> and that's what they'd like to have there, too, I think, probably. But uh, Yeah. Go and ahead, They've David. got yeah? some corridors that let you get down to 10,500 10, southbound, 11,500 northbound, uh, and fly along the canyon. Uh, there are sectors where you can go down to, uh, looks like low of 49.99 to 99.99 in uh, noise sensitive areas so mm-hmm. uh now what about all these leaders are all what's go that? ahead so far, Jeb, go ahead Jeb. Uh, i was going to say there's, there's also tour operators that i believe can go below the rim uh, that was my question certain. what about all these helicopters that you see launching out of las vegas when i'm hanging there um do they have special rules can they get down to the rim below the rim i i believe they do and they're uh the, you know they're flying specially chartered routes for them, and operating on permits that uh, uh, are conditioned on them being trained specifically in this stuff. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, then that's and, what I'm going to do. Yeah. There's there's that, and there's I think they also there are limitations on on the numbers of flights that can be made uh, over a period of time. Uh, there's certainly limitations on who can do them. Uh, they have to be vetted uh, uh, tour operators. I believe there's both helicopter and fixed wing. I know. Um, yeah, I believe you're right. You know, last time I was at, at North Vegas, for example, um, they, they were still operating twin otters out of there as, as tour operations. With great big and windows. Great big windows, that's right. Yeah. Some, like someone that. got the, uh, the uh, chop saw out and cut some windows in those. Yeah. But there's there's some there's some seriously good uh, and detailed information about this on the uh, on the web. What's that site again? Oh, yeah. uh, SouthwestAviator.com. Uh, okay, okay. Now speaking uh, of S- flying, SWAviator is what I, what I should say here. SWAviator.com. Sierra Whiskey Aviator.com. Got it. Okay. Now, speaking of flying out of the uh, edges of the envelope here, um, we also have video, a uh, historic video, I guess, of a guy doing um, an air show aerobatics act in a Ford trimotor. Really cool. Yeah, that is just really cool. Um, you got you got to wonder also, uh, you know, what he did uh, to, to work out. Uh, what yeah. he did for his upper body. Yeah, strength. that's that's, that's that probably takes some strength. Ford trimotor. Yeah, I mean, I'll confess right up. Uh, I've never flown a Ford Tri-Motor. I don't think I've ever been in one, uh, airborne or, or static, for that matter. But everything I've ever read about them is is you had to be a, a real man or, or a, a, um, 
strong enough anyway to, to, to manhandle those things. They were not sprightly enough on the ailerons, for example. Well, a, a really old aviation journalist once told me that early air transport pilots were the real model for the character Popeye the Sailor in his arms. Uh-huh. Now, yeah. That's just what the old guy told me. But, mm-hmm. but they so were usually cool. short because the cockpits were small, but they had arms as big as their legs. Yeah, there's some cool video of uh, of this uh, doing. I mean, in one sense, they're just kind of the routine aerobatic maneuvers you see in air shows. But to see a Ford trimotor doing it is is pretty pretty impressive. And uh, I he does barrel like rolls, roll. he does loops, he does spins. He did a snap uh, roll, right? That was kind of cool. And uh, well, uh, snap roll on a Ford trimotor is not exactly the same as say an, an extra three hundred. Yeah, yeah, but still. <laughs> Looks more like yeah. a barrel roll, but <laughs> yeah. or a heat mix. Uh huh. You never rode a, a Dave. Have you ever ridden a with the? With ever, go ahead, David. I was going to say the shots of him coming down, touching the runway with the left left main gear, and then holding the left wing tip just a a, a little bit off the ground in, in yeah. parts. But I looked at that and go, "Oh, that's nothing. That's I, I do that all the time in a crosswind." <laughs> Man. Yeah, no, it was very Bob Hoover actually. I wonder if Bob Hoover was in, in any yeah. way inspired by that kind of an act. Uh, uh, but uh, to, that's so what is, that, that's what it had me wondering was. I looked at that, and the first thing I thought it says, "Now I know where you got the idea, Hoover." Yeah, uh, uh, well, he, yep. you know, he, he could have flown that. You know, you never know. He's been around so long. Yeah, yeah he might right. have been a little bit young to be doing this in 1932. I think it was. Is that when the video is supposed to be? Yeah. When did they start making Ford trimotors? Earlier than 1932. Yeah, I was going to say it was in the 20s. But I I would have to look that up. Yeah. I rode in one. I I, I bought the ride at Oshkosh one year. Did you? uh, Yeah, Yeah. it was cool. It was very short. You know, it's like they basically do one time around the pattern. um, And... uh, and I, I didn't realize. I forget whether I didn't realize or whether I was too cheap to buy the uh, the, the right seat. But there there is a way for mere mortals to get in the right seat. Um, All it takes is money. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe next time we'll do that. Uh, but uh, first produced in 1925 and uh, continued in production until June of 33. 199 produced. That's all. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, wow. That's pretty amazing. How many are still flying? I mean, what? We see three or four on a regular basis at, at Oshkosh. I wonder how many are still airworthy. I don't know. Yeah, anyways. Hey, welcome, folks, to... Uh, <laughs> we're being... <laughs> I don't know if we're just particularly mellow tonight or or if it's the lag on the Internet, but uh, but I, 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 I'm feeling pretty mellow tonight. So, lag. So. We've got lag, baby. So I'll well, just say at welcome. least, you know, yeah. at least Max Headroom hasn't joined us yet. Yeah. Welcome, folks, to... Uh, it's episode 164 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general <laughs> aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on, uh, I think it's Tuesday, December 15th, 2009. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing tonight? I'm well. Somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. Somewhere. No, I'm uh, home. I'm home. Because we don't want to give away that the, the you're at an undisclosed location, as our I, our former vice president used to say. 
Yeah, former vice president. He's hidden away somewhere. That's right. Yeah, no, it's I'm, all for the best. I'm, I'm good. I'm basking in the glow of putting another issue of, of aviation safety in the can. Uh-huh. And yep. uh, um, trying to pick up the pieces and uh, move on to the next one. And uh, So did you finally give up on finding all the oil in your engine compartment? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's either it's either drained onto the floor of the hangar, uh, and I, I caught most of it if it did, um, or um, it's kind of sprinkled and misted somewhere between here and Manassas, Virginia. It's added to the anti-corrosion treatment. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'll never worry that much about the, the underside of my airplane rusting out, corroding. That's right. so it's, it, uh, it's, it's a new treatment. It's a new treatment. And that other voice. I, 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 had, I, I had a guy out this weekend detailing it, so it really looks good now, finally. You, you, I, you know, I was wondering about that. So you had your airplane detailed. I had my airplane detailed, yeah. And, and I I mean, I, a, a nice clean airplane is a good thing, <laughs> but I don't know. How long yeah. does it actually stay that clean? Is this, like, really worth it? Well, if you, don't, if you don't fly it, it stays that clean indefinitely. Well, we know you don't um, not fly it, so, you know. you got big-ass bugs I, I, down there in Florida, so, I mean, it's not going to stay detailed. Long. Some, of the bugs, some of the bugs down here squawk 1,200. <laughs> so, is this a guy who, like, details airplanes for a living, or is this like some high school well, kid who he, needed a he bug? Does, he does cars, motorcycles, boats, airplanes, RVs, whatever. I had him do a bike for me a month or so ago, and... And um, I, I knew job. at the time that he all he, he did yeah he did he did a real good job on the bike, and uh, I talked to him about airplanes and and he he'd done you know uh, some singles and, and twins before and and had had worked with another crew um, that does Gulf Streams, and I figured well okay you know as long as I'm around and can, can you know keep an eye on him and shit like that excuse me stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't have any issues with him, uh, um, um, you know, working on the airplane, which he got out here about nine o'clock Saturday morning, worked his butt off all day long. Uh, didn't clear out of here until at least seven that evening. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. he, he, you know, took a, took a, brought his own lunch, took a lunch break and, and, uh, you know, things like that. But, uh, um, he put the in airplane the airplane shows the yeah, he put in a full day, uh, if not more than that, and, and the airplane looks good as a result. I'm happy. Cool, cool. Okay. First time I've yeah. done that, so, you know, uh, since I've had the airplane, the first time I've uh, I've had it detailed like that. So you so can scratch working. that off your bucket list, right? You've had your airplane detailed. And, uh, to the extent that I have a bucket list, and to the extent that that would be on it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that other voice out there is Dave Higdon, who is uh, joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you? Doing fine, lovely, just bodacious. How about yourself? I'm okay. I'm okay. What have you been up to lately? You been, uh, you been getting any good airplane rides? Well, I flew that, a little that bit. You can t- that you can talk about. I flew a little bit Friday. And, uh, just about have the, the story that, that, that's going to come out of that wrestled to the ground. So uh, in, a, in about three or four weeks, I'll be able to talk more about that. But, okay. Uh, All right. Uh, it's we'll been kind it of fun reliving that. And... Uh, Seeing some of the aviation buddies in the in the last couple of days, so you know it's uh, life is not bad. Mm-hmm. So, did you ever have your airplane detailed? Well, actually, no. I mean, uh, to the extent that we, you, we, you know, uh, 
picked a vendor and had them do it. We did it ourselves uh, periodically. Uh, and I got to tell you, scrubbing the belly of a Comanche is a lot less work than scrubbing the belly of a Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why is that? The Cherokees got about five longitudinal rows of hat channel on the belly. Uh, right, right, right. And, uh, it, you know, it collects a little uh, oil film and a little dust, a little grit. and It makes getting between and around and in the curves and all that uh, a pretty good piece of work. The Comanche, on the other hand, has this lovely, smooth, compound curved belly with nothing but a few rivet seams in it uh, and a lot of flush rivets and a lot of roundhead rivets. And, uh, you know, rivets always create a little extra cleaning work and all that. But you get to crawler out and some uh, cleaning solution and get it all waxed up, and then we do the top. And uh, we used to take it to uh, Benton Air Park. Uh, they had this great big shade tree we could back it under after we washed it down and and, and, and and got it ready to wax and polish. And then we'd wax and polish it and tell ourselves that we were five knots faster. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You'd wash your airplane and then park it under a tree so that the birds can all, like, crap on it? I don't understand. Why oh, there were that? no birds hanging around that tree, man. That was a busy airport. Oh, okay. All right. All right. They, they, I don't know. They, they See, don't I... tend to hang around where there's all that noise and movement. Yeah. All right. Okay. And I'm Jack Hodgson. And, uh, Yay! And I'm talking... I'm talking to you tonight from uh, from beautiful downtown Providence, Rhode Island, uh, where I'm uh, yeah, traveling on the latest of my uh, of my event projects, and uh, we just put on a bunch of meetings here today, and uh, moving on to, uh, <laughs> it's like, the life I lead, you guys must be jealous, I'm in Providence, Rhode Island tonight, and I'm going to be in Springfield, Mass, tomorrow, woo-hoo, Ooh. Uh, but uh, it's... Uh, Keeping busy, keeping busy, and uh, but then I'm done and I'm home uh, throughout the holidays. Looking forward to uh, Christmas and New Year's and uh, trying to uh, get through the winter and survive. I, you know, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm if I deserve to own an airplane because I think that to me detailing the airplane would pretty much amount to finding a rain shower and flying through it a couple times. I <laughs> we do that periodically. Uh. I, uh, you know, I, I hardly wash my car. You know, in 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 a year or two, I, I maybe I maybe I'm going to feel more more passionate about my airplane than I do about other things. The uh, the the a bunch of listeners on on Twitter, Dave. I know you don't do Twitter, Jeb. You're kind of there sometimes and not others. Um, the listeners, a bunch of listeners, started this little campaign on Twitter over the last. Just as I am in life. Yeah. Okay. Did you see what they did? Somebody, somebody posted. I forget. I, I apologize. I forget who started this whole thing. But somebody posted something that said, uh, said we need to start a campaign to convince Jack to go partners on a 182 instead of a 172. And then, and, and then he, and then he put, and then he put. This was on Twitter. On Twitter, and then he put, "Please, if you're a Twitter person, he put, please retweet," which means you you, you get to repeat. If you if you want to kind of give strength to something, then you you repeat it and echo it, and that's that way it gets a wider you know audience. And I'm I swear, and this may not sound like a lot, but there were about eight or nine people who retweeted this thing. All right, it was like over the span of a couple hours the other night, and I just thought it was kind of amusing because I was sitting there working at my computer watching all of these things go on by, and everybody. So apparently, there's like a popular 
circular movement going here. That uh, they're all trying well, to work least, me. I'm, you know, they're going to have me in like a you know Pilatus twelve before we're done here. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and kind of put on the kind of put on the uh, the the, the uh, analyst hat here for a second. So, Jack, how do you feel about the idea of upgrading the airplane that you haven't bought to another one that you haven't bought that's even better? You know, as long as I don't end up buying it, I could go <laughs> citation. You know. No problem, you know. Uh, well, I can buy any. You know, I can. As yeah, but I'm thinking in terms of. I'm thinking in terms of reality. Does uh, does a 182 uh, hit you on any cylinders? It, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I just think it's going to be more expensive to operate, and I'm not sure if I'm up for that. But uh, but uh, it's, it's well, something to be said for the fact that it's got more legs, if, if you will, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. more load well, carrying. Well, apparently, two, two things to keep in mind. Uh, Two, two things to keep in mind on a 182 versus a 172. Um, first of all, both of them, you know, you can run a MoGas if you, well, it depends on the 182. I mean, sorry, yeah, it depends on the 172. On the, 182. the 182, not a newer one, not a post-96 manufacturer, but an older one, you can run a MoGas if you wanted to. Secondly, um, you can, over a, over the same trip, I suspect... Um, because the 182 is faster, yes, it burns a little bit more gas per hour. But I suspect over the same trip, um, you could do um, the 182 so that it burns uh, the same amount of fuel as the 172 over the same trip. Yeah. Because Jack, the 172 when, when, take when, long. When we moved from the Cherokee with 150 horse-like to the Comanche with a 180, we went yeah. up about... We went up about two gallons an hour, maybe a little more, maybe two and a quarter in hourly fuel burn. Uh, but we also went up about 30, 35 knots in cruise speed. And the result was that on legs that we'd been flying regularly, like from here to my hometown in Indiana, uh, we actually went down 12 gallons, 13 gallons for the trip. Yeah. It did. Yeah. It, it was that significant. Uh, the difference in speed versus fuel per hour. Uh, we we burned a hell of a lot less gas getting there in the in the little Comanche, even though we were burning more fuel per hour. Uh, so it's it's something as, you got to calculate. As far as maintenance and, and cost of operation, you've got two more cylinders and in a constant speed prop to feed. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean you don't have retractable gear. Uh, same kind of robust construction as the 172. Uh, you know, the systems design are pretty comparable mm -hmm. all the way through. It just yeah. one got, you know, a, quite a bit more horsepower and, and a structure to carry a lot more load. And in exchange, you get quite a few knots more getting there. Yeah, you get, you get a lot more flexibility. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to look around the area and see if I can find one that I can fly and see what it's like. Because I've never even sat in I mean, it's like Jeb says with the trimotor. I've never even sat in one, let alone ridden in it. So I'll give it a try. I'm, you know, as long as I'm not buying the airplane, I can think about any of them. I, no, that's I'm, right. You know, there you go. That's right. Next summer-ish, spring-summer-ish is when I'm targeting Ooh, to do now something. Now, that would be a project. What would your hmm. fantasy fleet of three airplanes be? Okay. Well, we 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 now this this goes back. Is there a budget we did do, involved here. Yeah. What's that? Is there a budget? Uh, no. Oh, really? Oh man! Come on. 
Right. Money is right, no now, object. Your fantasy fleet listeners. of three airplanes. Long-time listeners will recall that we've done this exercise before, uh, um, doing uh, Barry Valentine's uh, fast plane, slow plane, upside-down plane. Um, and I guess that's not what we're mm-hmm. talking about here, right? You're just talking like three. Three. Well, three Barry set airplanes. some parameters on what he wanted in three airplanes. Uh, uh, we're setting no such parameters here. We're just saying, okay. what would your fantasy combination of three airplanes be? All right. Um, all right. Who wants to go first? I've got a couple of ideas here. Air, but, airplanes uh, or aircraft? Okay, aircraft. Okay. All right, Jeb, you go first. Or just name one. We'll go oh, around. Oh, now. Right, right now? Yeah, okay. Um, I want a C-130. I've always wanted to, f- to fly a uh, Hercules. Uh-huh. I think that's a cool airplane, all right? I think, yeah. You know, um, and I could carry some gear, all right? And Are uh, we talking about just the three that you'd fly or the three you don't? Well, you made this up, Dave. <laughs> Tell us what we're talking about. I was thinking about. of three oh, airplanes I'm going to put in my hangar. What are the rules? Just three it, airplanes are these personal in airplanes or are these professionally flown airplanes? Well, it could be all of the these, above, no, because if Warren it's going to be professionally flown, I'm going to get rated to fly it. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I may so have to hire more, more too, you're talking about more. You're talking about more, more, more uh, approachable airplanes, you know, personal airplanes. I'm talking about what fits your fantasy hangar of three airplanes. Okay. All right. Um, Money is no object. C-130? I don't know. What are yours, David? <laughs> Uh, yeah, David, what are, you, what are yours? David? Yeah, David, you well, tell us yours, grum- and that will give us the parameters here. All right. a grumman, well, a Grumman Albatross would be on my list. Okay, that's a good mm. one. Okay, that's a pretty much go wherever in the hell I want to in the world, uh, as long as I know I can get Avgas. Uh, and I saw one down at uh, Grand Cayman that was uh, refitted so that hard points uh, inboard of the Sponsons but outboard of the engines, carried yeah. two jet skis, one on each side. <laughs> you know, that was very okay. cool. Landed in the water, taxied up to the beach, dropped the jet skis off, and had fun. Uh, that's I think it should be sort of an X-15 sort of launch situation where, you know, the uh, the jet ski operator climbs down through a hole in the bottom of the wing, and then the airplane skims low over the water, and then they release, and maybe not. <laughs> What's your second airplane, David? Uh, my second airplane would be something along the lines of a, a, a Cirrus jet. Uh, and then the third airplane would be a clipped-wing Taylor craft with 125 horse. Hmm. Short trips, fun trips, and trips that would go upside down occasionally. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. All right. Okay. Well, just to kind of mimic your categories, all right, my Taylorcraft equivalent would be a uh, a uh, Champ. I like the Champ. I just like the lines and I like good choice. The, yeah, the style and I like I like the Champ. All right, and so um, that's one. That would be that. Okay, and my Grumman Albatross equivalent would be a C one thirty, and my uh, <laughs> you, can, you know you can put floats on those. You can uh, put skis on them anyway. I don't know. I know you can put. You can put big ass guns sticking out the side and do circles around <laughs> yeah. that guy. Right? That'd be cool. That, that would oh, come he's in. He's got that twenty millimeter GE minigun thing going in his he brain. Yeah, three thousand yeah. rounds per minute. Yeah, 
And then Cirrus Jet. Uh, well, my my Cirrus Jet category would be a Cirrus Jet. I do like that airplane. Um, I, I, I sadly, as every day goes by, I have less confidence that we're ever going to see that airplane. But uh, from Cirrus or from any well, Cirrus it, offshoot, you know, we we've kind of lost hearing any momentum out of Diamond with the D Jet, which would get into that niche too. Yeah, that's a nice one too. Yeah. But I like the lines of the Cirrus Jet, the demo, the the uh, the yeah. you know. Pro, what do they call it? Prototype thing that we've seen, and uh, so uh, that would be a nice airplane, you know. So okay, um, all right. That's my lame ass attempt to match you, D- Jeb. How you doing? Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm ready. Um, okay. The, the um, he's ready. The, Look out! Here we go. All right. The, the float plane uh, thing resonates, so I'd have to go with a PBY. Oh, okay. there you go. Okay, uh, it's probably we got one up here in Maine. Truck. You should come up to Maine and see the one we got yeah, up here. We're doing there's, the restoration there's, on it. There's a handful of them, you know, <clears throat> flying around, uh, doing doing all kinds of things. Uh, there was actually there's a widgeon, Grumman widgeon, for sale. I came across earlier today. Ooh, it's up in Alaska. Um, I keep uh, seeing these lakes yeah. and thinking of you mm-hmm. because yeah. boy, there's some nice deals in lakes. There are. There are, and and don't think I haven't thought about that. But yeah, uh, I mean that boy, they they hit some sweet spots in terms fantasy, of fantasy. Fantasy being what it is, uh, um, PBY would be the float plane. PB, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Um, that's where that, and then it starts to get a little fuzzy. Um, <laughs> the jet, um, I'm I'm I don't know. Uh, you see, it would either be a, a Boeing business jet, ooh, or, um. Uh, a thirty or tw- a twenty or thirty series Lear. Woo! Um, just thirty-one A. Thirty-one A. Oh, I can tell you. I'm thinking a. just a 30, 35. It's uh, just a fighter a pilot, and it's so cheap to fly. <clears throat> Are you guys, um, for, then, for those of us who don't, I'm sorry, before you move on, for those of us not so familiar with the Lear line, can you tell us a little bit about what makes those those models particular? By the way, oh, okay, we're going to come back. There's nope. a thing on TV I'm going to talk about later on. Cool. Oh, cool. Well, to, to me, the, the Lear thing, to me, is, you know, first of all, it was basically the first real purpose-built, well, it wasn't the first, but it was it was uh, um, um, certainly one of the first you know purpose-built business jets. Yeah, um, the Jetstar and the uh, and the, I don't know the uh, the Jetstar I think is is really the first purpose built, but uh, um, the uh, I'm I'm certainly willing to be corrected on that. But I think just the classic well, it, lines of it, those it early brought the bar 20, down a lot and how yeah. much money it took to go jet exactly exactly um, just but just the classic lines of the Lear jet with the the pointy nose, uh, the little skinny tires sticking out there, uh-huh. uh, the wraparound windshield. Um, and the tip tanks and like that. It's just a just a very classic design, classic shape to it. Um, and um, that's that's kind of just you know turns me on, if you will. Okay. Um, All right. And then your third one. Um, yeah, that's that's where it gets really squiggly. Um, I, I'm, I'm I'd vacillate between a cub. Um, or, you know, something like what I've got now in, in the debonair. Um, ultimately, I think I'd have to have four airplanes. Uh, okay. Yeah, this exercise is a lot easier if you make the fleet five airplanes. Yeah, yeah. That, that would, that <laughs> would make, make it, it some- Making it three really causes you to, forces you to make some choices. So yeah. We used to play this what-if game years ago with some friends. So, you, know, uh-huh. you know, if you could have any three motorcycles. Yeah. 
what would you have? And uh, uh, yeah, but uh, that, that's where this whole idea got started. So you got you folks listening in, go go to the forums page, sure. uh, fire one up, and tell us what your three would be. I mean, after all, it doesn't cost anything. So. <laughs> Well, there isn't a chance in the world that we're going to get through the entire list here. We're having way too much fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was going to cherry pick off of our list here. Um, and and uh, here, here's the first one because I just caught – I got the TV muted in the background here. Um, and I, I, the uh, CNN just played a little clip. They uh, did first flight of the uh, Boeing 787 today. Did you guys see Watched that? Watched it on headline news today. Yeah. This is an inter- and, I mean, you know, it's kind of notable in a lot of different ways, big airplane. Jeb, you probably hate it. You probably think it's ugly, right? Um, let me load this, this page here. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's a Boeing. It, I, I, I tend to like Boeings. Mm-hmm. Um, this looks kind of like a cross between uh, a triple seven and uh, um, a seven fifty seven. Uh, I like the seven fifty seven's look. Um, I like yeah. the nose of it, the way it looks, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got you know a, a huge uh, a vertical stabilizer on it, and and uh, the wingtips, uh, um, the wings narrow, you know, down to a taper. I, no, I, I don't dislike the airplane at all. Um, um, well, the reference uh, I'm making here is that you had a very strong emotional response to the uh, to the uh, Airbus uh, well, 380, I guess. Uh, the 380 is an ugly airplane. 380 <laughs> is an ugly airplane. All right. Well, anyway, this is Boeing's day. This, we'll talk, this, we'll this talk about the Airbus another day. So Boeing yeah. had this live link up yeah. and and uh, a flight tracking uh, link, and you could watch it on a Google map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd planned a five-and-a-half-hour flight. Uh, well, I, in front of a computer, the, the the start time ran late. I had to leave the computer. I happened to be in front of a TV, and they were able to punch up the uh, cable news networks. And lo and behold, CNN was playing a live feed from uh, Payne Field in Everett, Washington. Uh-huh. So we watched it with the feed from the local uh, uh, Seattle area affiliate of cnn and feed from uh, boeing's own cameras and got to watch the puppy take off and the wing looks really i'm not sexy yeah the airplane's on the ground oh but when it loaded up yeah that's the thing that struck me is that uh, when it loaded up it was like gee many christmas that is a it just it, it looks like it just flows in yeah fluid yeah, like the fuselage. You, you can tell, and I'm just looking at I'm just looking at the stills of it uh, on the on the Wired uh, blog. Uh, you can tell the difference when it, between when it's on the ground and when it's in the air. The, the curvature of the wings, a lot yeah. of curvature to the it wings. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It is, is that is that you think a function of just that it's bigger, or are they using different materials these days, or what's that all about? No. If you if you compare, uh, um, I remember um, years ago I was on a uh, 747-400 and um, was watching the takeoff roll and kind of watching the, the, the position. I was watching the winglets, actually, in the position yeah. of the winglets relative to the window. And, you know, you start out on the takeoff roll. Uh, the winglets are in one position, and then you start getting to V1 and, and uh, rotation, and, and v- uh, as the airplane lifts off, the the winglets literally lift up mm-hmm. uh, in relative to the window. 
or you know, could you put it another way, of course, the fuselage um, sinks down a little bit relative to the winglets. Mm-hmm. But the, the punchline is there was a curvature to those wings too. This yeah. is really nothing new. Um, and if you if you you know put strain gauges on it or, or my, you know electronic micrometer or something like that, you would find that the wings on my debonair do the same thing. Uh, they they flex and they are not going to be as nearly as much. Uh, uh, they're not supporting nearly the weight and they're not designed to flex that much either. But it's it's a common uh, phenomenon. It's a, it's a common and, and and I would say necessary uh, phenomenon, especially for an airplane of this size and, and weight. Well, not only is it necessary and, and and it's good. And if you watch them in rough air, I mean yeah. the wingtips on a seven forty seven four hundred, if memory serves me, flex upward about six feet. Mm-hmm. Between on the runway and on climb out, I, th- I think that's that's the number I would use. Yeah, and, and you think about it also. There was a, I don't know if it was Discovery Channel or, or, or National Geographic or whatever, but there was a, a video I saw recently about uh, um, the triple seven and uh, the uh, static load testing that they did on the wings of that airplane. And those those listeners who might not be aware of this, you know, to to do a lot of the the uh, load testing on on uh, on an airplane like this, they build the structure, the wing structure in this case, and then they get some hydraulic jacks, and they get out to the wingtip. You know, I'm simplifying it a, a lot, of course. They get out to the wingtip. The, the the wing root is anchored uh, in, in some fixture or something like that. They get out to the wingtip, start jacking the wingtip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they jack the wingtip until the structure breaks. Yeah, I know the video you're and talking it's, about. It's very dramatic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very dramatic. There's a huge bang, but the thing is, basically, uh, I don't know exactly, you know, what the what the angle on it was, uh, the deformation on it, but it was several yards out of whack. Yeah. before the thing broke. Yeah. Well, uh, and if you've ever noticed one of these big airliners, thing. one of these. Uh, 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 not double wedge. What about one of these wide body jets with winglets? When they're sitting on the ground, the winglets kind of look like they're canted outward. Yeah. yeah, but that goes away when the winglets flex, and the chips wind up being more vertical with the wing loaded. And that was one of the things that caught my attention with the seven eighty seven today was that there's this finish to the wing tips that you notice when it's sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. But when it loads up and lift it off, it's just one beautiful compound curve, one big sweeping, curving, tapered yeah. out to the tips. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful. And, and yeah. it impressed me that it, it, not only is it aesthetically beautiful, but you think about the fact that that's the maximum efficiency for that airfoil is with it swept up like that. That airfoil wasn't designed with the static position that we see in mind. It was designed with that bow as part of the calculations. And, man, what complicated, complicated calculations and programs it must take to be able to come up with a wing design that takes into account that curvature to get the maximum in the aerodynamic benefit that you want. And then be able to reverse that to build it in the straight, unloaded, static form so that it works out taking that curvature when it's loaded 
Uh, it just defies my ability to conceive how that works, but yeah. that's what they do. I, yeah. I will say this, though. The Airbus A380 is fugly. I'll <laughs> <laughs> second that motion. One last comment about the, the uh, 787 first flight today. Um, I was surprised to read in the story that that this was Boeing's first first flight since 1994. It's yeah, been, since the triple seven. It's yeah. been that long since Boeing flew a new aircraft. Um, a new, a new, a uh, new design. Yeah. No, 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 right. no. A, th- a new three-digit number. They have flown a lot of other um, new first flight of of you know like a say a dash three hundred or uh, um, what's the um, um, Dave help me out here the the freighter all freighter version of the seven forty seven oh seven forty seven dash eight. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, th- models like that have been, have had their first flights, right. and uh, uh, I'm sure there was, you know, a, a lot of of uh, I'm sure there were a lot of rollades consumed up and in, in, in written this week uh, as, as this got underway. But uh, um, it's not the first time since 1994 that they've had a first flight of a new type. Yeah. Okay. That's- okay. And and by the way, I uh, think what you do is variant. yeah. I think by the way, what you do is you take. Maybe you take like a pair of of seven oh sevens and you weld them side by side. That would be a double wide. And, uh, and <laughs> well, I, I gotta say also that when we we're talking about the, the the three airplanes that we would have to have, seven oh seven was was moving up fast. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. That would be very cool. Uh, we could probably get tips from John Travolta. Yeah, we yeah. could. Yeah. So, um, some interesting news came out of the Brazilian Triangle today. Uh, the uh, that's why I think Dave or Jeb. You I think stole Jeb, that from somebody. Well, didn't no, you? Jeb. I'm going to give you credit. Jeb is the one who came up with this. Right. Jeb has decided that there is not only a Bermuda Triangle, but there is a Brazilian Triangle. Um, they uh, this is the area where the uh, where famously and tragically the uh, Air France 447 crashed uh, and still has not been um, largely recovered. Um, and there's a story about that. But first, let's talk about this new airplane that encountered some scary problems in the same area. What What's the deal here? Well, just going by some of the press reports here, and I haven't really dug into this. I just haven't had the time here in the last few days. Um, this is a story dated uh, December 11, so four days ago. Um, French investigators said they are looking into problems encountered by an Air France jet last month. So this was uh, the event was actually on November 29. Um, basically, the same flight path, <clears throat> Rio yeah. de Janeiro to Paris. Um, same aircraft type, an Airbus A330 dash two something or other, uh, operated by the same carrier, Air France. Um, um, encountered problems, quote unquote. Uh, they say that twice in both in the first two graphs. Um, the uh, um, flight 445, uh, not 447, but 445, the, the, um, the instant uh, uh, situation, um, about four hours after takeoff, um, encountered severe turbulence. Uh, now, um, don't know what they mean by severe turbulence, and, and as we've seen in the 447 episode, we start getting into uh, um, translation issues and, and things like that. Um, <clears throat> But the, uh, the the area where this would have occurred with 445 is approximately the same area in that, that equatorial uh, uh, tropical convergence zone um, in equatorial over the equatorial Atlantic 
I just like saying the word equatorial. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, um, That's where, very equitable uh, of you. I, 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 I appreciate your equanimity. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, Go ahead, you guys are <laughs> appreciation. Yeah, we're we're on a roll here. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I don't know about a roll, but <clears throat> um, the the four four seven episode, of course, uh, um, we you had a, a same aircraft type, an Airbus three thirty, um, flew into a, a, a the conversion zone there. Um, we don't know for certain, but it was certainly pointed at some some severe thunderstorms at the time, and. Um, all indications are that it flew into a thunderstorm. Um, what happened next is anyone's guess, and we really won't know until we we, we find the FDR and the CVR on this from this airplane, which uh, so far hadn't happened. Still, yeah. still proving elusive. Um, it, it's just in this case, I'm sure the the four four five and four four seven uh, um, um, location and, and flight type, flight aircraft type, and all that is, is just a coincidence. Um, but I, I guess, you know, you know, putting on my uh, Aviation Safety Magazine editor hat just goes to show that uh, no matter what the equipment and no matter where you are, there's always something that can happen. There's always stuff that uh, we can, we can uh, find that will get us over our head very quickly. And, Mother Nature uh, doesn't know our engineering limits. Well, Mother Nature is fickle, and sometimes she gets angry at us for trying to fly through her airspace. She just is what she is. Just being true to herself. <laughs> Let's go. I'm not going any further down this path. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just getting dangerous. Um, uh, all kidding aside, uh, talking about the 447 crash, um, the news this past week, I think that uh, they've now, we, we thought this would happen, they have begun a new search for the oh, good. Uh, for the recorders. I did, I did not know that. Yeah, I saw a news story about this. I'm sorry I didn't put a link in here, but I, I saw it about maybe in sometime in the last week that uh, I guess it's, you know, they've got all their their ducks in a row and it's getting to be summer down there and uh, you know, so uh um the time has come and uh, they've they've planned out another another search. I think yeah, here's a here's a yeah, here's a CNN story. Um um Let's see. New underwater sweeps will last a maximum of three months and involve sonar and robot submarines, according to uh, whoever they were quoting here. Um, this is a CNN story from two days ago. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's good. It would be that's yeah. good. I, we talked they about should, it. They should send Bender down. Bender? Bender. Yeah. I get it, Dave. Yeah. Futurama. Okay. Thank you. Um, Google that when you get a chance. Um, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good too. Uh, I, you know, and I, the, the the big lesson for me to learn here is that I'm not flying Air France. That's basically what it comes down to. I was like, this is just too much. Uh, if it ain't Boeing, you know, I'm not going. That's right. There you go. There you, I, go. I, I've, you know, what's the while Mother Nature is going to fool us? She's going to catch us where we weren't expecting her. Yeah, and clearly one of the things it she's, just happens. Clearly, one of the things she's pissed off about is us flying Air France. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She would be much happier if you flew Varig. Yeah. I was going to say Lufthansa or Varig or uh, British Airways, even. Yeah. What else? We're never going to get through all these stories. So why don't you guys pick one you like? What, what do you want to talk about here? Um, pick one we like. 
Let's see. Oh, let's see. Oh well, no. What? Which one? Were you, uh, were you, that, that's that's a that's a shout out. Never mind. Oh. Ooh, get the hell out! What? <laughs> what? I just saw this link Jeb put on there about the Raven with a liquid cooled engine. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. What's the deal, Jeb? You you were saying some interesting things about it. Um, let me let me see if I can get this page to load, and I'll re- refresh my memory here. Um, as I re- as I understand it, well, the lead the lead uh, um, sentence or lead graph in the story here, the first all South African designed and manufactured aircraft is to be launched in Durban next year, and that's uh, a story uh, out of South Africa, obviously, um, dated December nine. Uh, this is the same group um, that uh, developed the um, the Raven. Um, the Raven 500, excuse me, uh, which is an all-composite uh, and updated version of uh, one of David's uh, favorite airplanes, the Piper Comanche. Um, the uh, I think the news here is that they have developed a um, an engine, a uh, liquid-cooled engine for this. Um, according to the the news story, which you know, have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt here. Says uh, the, the engine, which is sixty kilograms lighter than conventional engines, which would oh, be man, about, that's about hundred. Pounds. That's one hundred thirty pounds. I'm say about one hundred thirty pounds lighter than a conventional engine. Now, now, have to kind of define what a conventional engine is uh, for the comparison here. Are we talking about an IO five fifty? Are we talking about a, a comparable liquid cooled automotive engine? What are we talking about here? So that's you know that's uh, of interest. But uh, it says three hundred twenty horsepower engine. Uh, burns less fuel than existing engines. Again, we don't know, you know, what class of engine we're talking about here. And is environmentally friendly. It runs on any fuel except diesel, including lead-free fuel, ordinary vehicle fuel, and bioethanol. Um, fuel consumption is in cruise mode is 37 liters an hour, which works out to uh, around uh, eight and a half, nine gallons an hour, I would guess. Um, no other aircraft in its class can fly. Uh, it says this says twenty seven hundred nautical miles without refueling. I call blowing snow on some. Yeah, that's a long way. Yeah, that's across the United States without having to stop. Well, the, I call the, blowing the, snow on that. But the Ra- uh, Raven has got a ridiculously large fuel capacity. Yeah, but still, I mean, seriously um, large. <laughs> uh, I can't quote it without looking up the story that I did. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it seemed like it was up around 104 gallons. Well, I, I carry 104 gallons uh, in uh, usable. In, yeah. In and and, 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 and uh, I'm not going to go 2,700 nautical. That, that's, that's, I'm coming up short there. It was because the 260 Comanche, which is what it was, it was even running, the one I flew, the Raven 500 I flew, was flying on a uh, uh, an IO 540 Lycoming. Uh, 260 horsepower, mm-hmm. like the last versions that Piper built of the Comanche were 260s. A uh, couple of changes, like the door was on the left side instead of the right side. Uh, different luggage compartments set up. Uh, some of the aftermarket mods that you can put on the Piper Comanches were actually built into the airframe as part of the original design on the Raven. Uh, 
it had significantly more fuel. I'm going to have to look it up and come back. Uh, I think they're off there base is. on the 55 to 60 liters an hour in existing airplanes if they're talking about a 260 Comanche. Uh, and if that's their frame of reference on the conventional engine, that is significant, uh, 130 pounds, and, and particularly if it's liquid-cooled, like they say. So there's some, some, some interesting stuff here worth pulling up. Uh, the question is that at what speed? Because yeah, if they're yeah. doing 37 liters an hour, like you say, about nine and change an hour, uh, I believe maybe as close as ten, uh, but if they're even doing ten an hour uh, on three hundred and twenty horsepower, they should be up around two hundred and five knots, two hundred and ten knots in that airframe on that much horsepower. Uh, it'd take one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty gallons of fuel to be able to make that range at that speed at that fuel consumption the i just loaded up the the uh, web page for the raven 500 the, the company's web page uh 54 gallons per wing so you're looking at 108, 108 gallons okay i uh, don't know if that's don't know if that's usable or, or total or, or what it, that's it just says you know 54 u.s gallons in, e in each wing um <clears throat> If if this is going to do um, twenty seven hundred nautical miles on one hundred eight gallons, uh, I want one. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think they may be a. They're, they've got some parameters here that are missing. I mean, we uh, might, might have another uh, um, miles to to kilometers conversion problem here. Well, it know. used to intrigue me how you could get. Uh, maximum range figures out of some of the airplanes that we're all familiar with that were really outside the expectation. Uh, but then you'd look at it and find out that they're flying at like 13,000 feet and 50% power. Right. And their fuel burn is down to, uh, you know, 60% of normal crews, but their airspeed's down to 70% of normal crews. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it'll go you know, 250 miles, 300 miles farther than you'd ever go in it. But it's going to take you so much more time to do it because you're flying so much slower. If that's what they're talking about here, uh, I guess maybe it's possible if you did the whole trip at 100 knots. Yeah. yeah. Well, for every airplane, I mean, there's or every airfoil, too, for that matter, there's a, a speed that is the most efficient for it. Right. Um, and uh, they obviously are flying uh, um, to get that kind of range out of this airplane. They're obviously flying real close to, if not right, specifically at that speed for, for the Raven 500. I, I sure am intri intrigued by the idea of a uh, three, what is it, 320, 320 horsepower, six-cylinder, liquid-cooled, and IO540 is not exactly a lightweight piece of motor. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, uh, boy, if they did that, that would be down around the weight of a IO360, but putting out double the horsepower. That would be that would be a wild ride if they could do that. <laughs> uh, and it bears remembering too that uh, liquid-cooled engines tend to have much better specific fuel consumption 
numbers than air-cooled engines. Uh, specific fuel consumption being how many, you know, you pick a unit, gallons or pounds per hour it burns to make a horsepower. And air-cooled engines generally take quite a bit more than liquid-cooled engines do. Mm -hmm. uh, difference in tolerances and temperature gradients and all this stuff, how they cool. Uh, so it's intriguing. I'd like to know more about that engine. All right. Well, that's your homework. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, you have, you have a homework assignment. Do I have to do a term paper? And then there will be a quiz next week. Yeah. Okay. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? David, you uh, were... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, Jeb, you got one? No, go ahead. David, you were uh, in the list here raving about uh, somebody who gets the Sport Pilot LSA thing. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, uh, well, Ken... it's funny. There's been this big discussion on the forums, in the forums about this, uh, including some fairly critical comments, I think justified, about uh, uh, CFIs and or flight school operations that uh, look at the uh, guy coming in wanting to do a Sport Pilot training as the guy to convert to, oh, no, what you really want is private pilot. Yeah, I saw that story. You know, That's pretty disturbing. Uh, yeah, it's it's just like the buddy of mine had got married to a woman who thought he was okay the way he was, but he'd be much better after they tied the knot. Or, uh, you know, the guy that married a lady friend of mine who mm -hmm. thought that she would become this dream image if you know and it's like why do you try to change people i mean gee many they came in so uh yeah david's just like those things in austin area <laughs> no but okay yeah so so this guy ken uh Witt, how do you say his last name would it, i'm would not it, sure would a Kien or something like that um we Whittakian. apologize but uh but sounds like a good guy uh what, what's the story well i've been on his mailing list for i don't know uh year and a half, two years, ProMark Aviation Services. I believe they're in Austin. It's one of the things that intrigued me. I, I, when I saw this, he does a monthly newsletter. Uh, I'm on his newsletter list. And unfortunately, you can't get to the newsletter directly through his website. But the link that I put in was to the page about uh, their sport pilot training program. They train in Remos uh, uh, LSAs, the GX. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're uh, very aggressive with it, uh, very upfront. They also do tailwheel training and private pilot training and instrument training. And you know, they've got a super cub to do tailwheel stuff in. And uh, uh, there was, it has been this big discussion about uh, how difficult it can be in some parts of the country to find sport pilot training to find a place that rents LSAs, to find people that won't look at you as, no, the candidate to convert to what they really want you to spend your money on. And here this guy's newsletter popped into my mailbox today, and I looked at it and said, here's a guy that gets it. So I was uh, bringing this up as a little bit of an encouragement, uh, as a way of providing some encouragement to the folks that think that nobody out there gets it, and I think it's just a matter of we need more time for this to grow into what it can be. I know five years sounds like a long time, but when you're starting a segment basically from scratch. We just lost does, Jeb I, here. Why don't we, let's get Jeb back before we continue. Jeb? 
No, I'm sorry. How do back. I do that? I'm back. Okay. Oh, there it is. Don't I'm ask. sorry, David. We interrupted you. Don't ask. Don't tell. I just was. Uh... <laughs> Jeb, you hit the button, didn't you? Don't ask. Don't tell. <laughs> I'm sorry, David. Go ahead. I just uh, thought it was worth pointing out that there are people out there that run regular flight schools. Yeah. Do regular flight training who also get the the sport pilot and LSA thing. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're not finding it where you want it, you know, I'm sorry, keep looking. It may not be as easy as you'd like, but when you don't find it where you want it, don't be shy about telling the people that the reason you're not doing business with them is because they don't have what you want and you're not interested in buying what they're selling. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody that says, no, what you really want is a private pilot's license, turning them, looking them in the eye and say, no, what I really want to do is become a sport pilot. And if I like that enough, I may come back and do private pilot training. But in the meantime, my money wants to be a sport pilot. So, the world needs a good directory of uh, locations around the country or around the world, I guess, the, um, where you can get sport pilot training. Does well, uh, does DJ's website have a good directory say, like I, that? I can't D- imagine DJ's website doesn't have that already. Yeah, DJ being Dan Johnson. The website is buydanjohnson.com, and uh, I know I'm going to go there and take a look. Um, I believe he does have uh, uh, some... Uh, so I could I could punch in the name of my state or my zip code and it'd give me LSA distributors or dealers or sport pilot at CFIs. In- well, and there's also the small aircraft manufacturer. Or I mean, sorry, the light aircraft manufacturers website. Llama, yeah. Uh, Llama. Let's see. Which I'm is actually Llama dot, Llama. It's Llama dot biz, I think, or something like that. I think it is. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, well, we should dig up some sort of figure out where this directory is um, because uh, not only will that help people who are looking for this kind of training, but it will. I think it would also help motivate um, you know folks to uh, to uh, start doing this kind of giving this kind of offering this kind of training. So, anyways, um, speaking of, of sport pilot training uh, and training in general, uh, I, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before. But I was relating a story that I had heard about the trials and tribulations of being a foreign uh, student in the United States, a foreign flight student in the United States. And I, I've heard now since then uh, from a couple of listeners who are, in fact, foreign students. One was the, the student that I was actually talking about and, and, and also from another who tell me that although it's bad, it's not quite as bad as, as it was related to me. Um, and uh, that there, it, you don't... According to what they were telling me, um, it's not as bad as you've got to renew your TSA approval every single, you know, rating or, or you know. Um, but so, I, I, and, and I'm going to stop there because I don't know the exact details now. And rather than relate a whole different batch of mis- misinformation, uh, I'm going to limit it to my normal one at a time. Uh, and uh, but uh, I'm going to dig out the information. And I know that. Uh, uh, San Fran, the listener is uh, who I was talking about earlier, is going to post something in the forums eventually to detail his experience, um, which will be interesting to all of us, and I think perhaps uh, particularly of interest to other foreign uh, uh, flight students or prospective flight students who are not U.S. Yeah. citizens. Um, 
What else? We're sort of getting to reaching the end of our allotted time. I haven't said that in a while. I used to say that all the time. Mm. People got tired of it, so I stopped. But we are reaching the end of our allotted time here. And the Internet's starting to give us a hard time, too. Um, but uh, yeah, any other stories running, that just jump? Really like running low on lineys. Yeah. Any other stories jump out here before we uh, wrap this thing up? I oh, think we've engaged close, the people enough. My okay. Anybody got any shout-outs? You may want to... Uh... Yeah. Yes? No? Um, Yes, yeah. Um, I, I, it's been on our list for some time. I don't know that we ever got, really got around to talking about it in advance of the event. But um, as, as uh, our group of pilots does every year about this time, um, the uh, Tangier Island uh, Holly Run uh, was conducted last weekend, as a matter of fact. Uh, this is where... Um, um, uh, a bunch of area pilots in the Mid-Atlantic region, D.C. area, where I, where I came from, uh, get together and um, uh, literally started out literally flying Holly uh, to this, this island out in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. There's no way to get to this island other than by ferry or by airplane. Uh, fortunately, they do have a good you know, uh, paved strip uh, on the, on the uh, island. And it's, it's a great little day trip uh, if you're in the area for... Uh, Especially in the summertime when uh, the restaurants are open and and um, things like that. But every year, uh, right before Christmas, a um, bunch of pilots and airplanes fly in um, holly uh, branches. They fly in gifts, and they flew in Santa Claus this year also. Um, there's uh, um, a very good story in the uh, Annapolis, Maryland newspaper, uh, and um, Tangier, T A N, or excuse me, Tango Alpha November Golf. India Echo Romeo Holly Run TangierHollyRun.com. Uh, there's some great pictures up. Uh, Joe Della Barba, who is a uh, DC area pilot and uh, pretty good photographer, actually, and uh, denizen of the uh, DC pilots list uh, that I'm a member of, um, posted these. And uh, it looks like a great time was had by all the weather cooperated for a change and. Uh, uh, the kids came out. Santa Claus was there. It was it was just an all around good event. And uh, hats off to them. Hats off to everybody that took. Uh, uh, several people took a lot of time uh, over the year actually to to make this happen and put all this together. But hats off to everybody, including the pilots and uh, aircraft owners. And uh, um, thanks. Uh, just very good work all the way around, guys. Very cool. Very cool. I got two quickies. All right, you do one, and then I'm going to do one, and I'll let you do the second one. Jeb, do, uh, Dave, do the first one. Okay, first one is uh, uh, kind of a, a tip of the wing to the uh, folks at Hawker Beechcraft uh, who are this week, started on Monday the 14th, running through Friday the 18th of December, uh, sending a, uh, I believe it's a Premier 1A business jet on Santa runs to 10 military installations here in the U.S., they're hitting two a day, distributing presents along the way, flying Santa in for the uh, children of the servicemen uh, uh, and, and women who are, uh, in, you know, putting their lives on the line for our country. So uh, hats off to them. They're not the only thing out there doing stuff like this, but it's one that uh, came to my attention in the last couple of days. Your turn, Jack. Very cool. 
Um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to all these Twitter listeners uh, who uh, who uh, started the uh, the Jack needs a 182 campaign. It really was cool, <laughs> and uh, I, you know I was sort of joking around a little bit earlier, but it really was. It was it was it was fun to watch it happen. What's the hashtag um, for that? Is there one? Uh, there, there was no hashtag. You're gonna just have to figure it out. And uh, it's uh, it was fun. It was gratifying, and it was quite frankly thought provoking. And uh, so I appreciate it. And uh, uh, now we just need to find me one. Uh, and that, uh, but we'll uh, we'll keep. The process going thanks to those, those tradeaplane.com there you go there you go david what do you got well the last one is actually something jeb put on but i i, I didn't want to see the episode slide by without mentioning it uh so jack make sure you plug in to the the notes here the uh link to the video of santa claus oh, yeah. doing test flights in his yeah. new sled uh, it's a series of test flight films similar to what Boeing will be collecting here soon with the 787, uh, except this is Santa Claus. Uh, gather the kiddies around to watch what Santa Claus went through to, you know, qualify and type certify his sled so he could do Christmas Eve night uh, deliveries. Uh, the link will be on the website. Uh, it's really a hoot. Merry Christmas. The, the, the look on his face is priceless. Uh, absolutely, Sounds several good. of them. I haven't seen yeah. these. I'm gonna have to dig them out and take yeah. a look. Well, it's yeah. interesting seeing how the power plants work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, and, and, we're, right. and we're not even gonna go, you know, down the road of of the the story about uh, uh, the examiner coming out with the shotgun. Yeah. You're gonna lose. You're gonna we're lose not going one. down that. Lose <laughs> take off. We, we've heard that. We've seen it before. Do not post that on the UCAP website. Please, <laughs> it's it's time to stick a fork in this one, uh, Jeb. It's always great talking with you. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Mag- Magazine. Uh, Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> and it's always a pleasure to be talked to. Um, uh, <laughs> AviationSafetyMagazine.com <laughs> um, uh, is the day job. Um, JeBurnside.com is the uh, personal website. Um, uh, you might also find me moping around uh, AvWeb.com and, and uh, AviationConsumer.com. And Dave Higdon, uh, as always, it's uh, been an experience. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer, <laughs> an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, well, on the Internet, just look in the right tube, second tube to the left. Uh, I'm on uh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviationsafety.com, uh, davehigdon.biz. And uh, may even be appearing in a couple of additional ones here in a couple of weeks. We'll fill you in on those later. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Once again, and as always, a big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Also, a big thanks to uh, Royce Earl and Mike Morgan and all of the uh, many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips. Uh, we, by the way, yeah, guys, last week's guys episode. I mean, yeah, you know, I know. Like, oh. Last week's episode was the one where we used the uh, the Christmas music one, the uh, the uh, podcast boy uh, yeah. uh, music that was done by uh, Mike Morgan and uh, Farid Gyo, um and it's just priceless. That's just Mike, uh, Mike and Farid. You guys just yeah. over the top. So all I can say is merry, happy, freaking ho ho. 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You guys, right. blow, you guys blow me away, and, and I, I just wish I had the uh, a quarter of the talent that, that y'all put into that. And, and the imagination. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, just just the conceptualizing how to do this, and it's it's uh, it's quite humbling. And thank you very very much. I didn't even much. know that there was such a thing as. Uh, uh, I mean, I've heard of stocking stuffers, but that's an MP3 stuffer. So there you go, there you go. So thanks to Mike and Royce, and to the many other listeners who have created the show, and opening disclaimer clips for the show. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And finally, don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Live longer by flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. And uh, that's, that's definitely enough talking. Let's go flying. Let's go flying. Uh, uh, TTFN, I think, is what I'm supposed to say. 